0: Hello, it's Vikas Porta, chairman of the Vaki Foundation. You are listening to a session from our Global Education and Skills Forum, a place where leading politicians, businesses, philanthropists, activists, and of course the world's best teachers share, debate, and discover new ways for education to transform our world. Keep the global conversation going and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with the hashtag GESF.
1: Great. And uh, Cameron, can you start with introductions? Thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Cameron Patterson. I'm a high school history teacher from Sydney in Australia. I'm also the director of teaching and learning at my school, so a lot of work with teaching staff. And I have a close collaboration with Project Zero, a research school attached to Harvard Graduate School of Education. Uh, So that's me.
2: Great. Thank you, Andrew. Okay. Hello
1: everyone, my name is Andrew Moffat, I'm an
2: assistant head teacher in a primary school in Birmingham, about 750 children, and um,
3: yeah, that's who I am. Okay. Good afternoon everyone, my name is Marge Brown, I teach in a girls school in South Africa, um, I'm head of history, and I run social responsibility projects in the inner city, a literacy quiz with 150 schools in South Africa, and I coach Model United Nations Debating.
0: Great, um, well thank you all very much. Um, we're going to start with a very easy question for your presentations please. Um, and that's why and how do you go about creating a culture of coexistence and tolerance
2: in the schools in which you work? Thank you, Andrew. Okay, as so I'll start then. So, um, I uh, uh, introduced a, a, a resource, an ethos, really, in my primary school. An ethos is called No Outsiders. And what that means is there are no outsiders in our school. Um, we talk about how we're all insiders, in fact, in our school. And we celebrate the fact that we are all different, but we can get along. Um, and it's really about teaching children to become global citizens. We talk about teaching children to be prepared for life in modern Britain. Because in modern Britain today, we have different religions, different faiths, you know, different nationalities, different languages in our communities. Uh, you know male and female different families you know, but we can all get along disabilities autism you know all our children are different. we need to make children proud of their differences and celebratory of their differences so um, we use picture books i brought so along like I might show you later on uh, to really in- reinforce this, uh, this, um, this ethos th- th- this image in children that um, you know whoever I am, wherever I come from. I belong in this school and it's a real central ethos that runs as, as a thread throughout the whole school. Thank you very much. Cameron.
1: Uh, I'd like to begin by acknowledging the Kamarigal people from the Guringai tribe of the Eora Nation uh, and that's from the, the banks of Sydney Harbour, the indigenous original inhabitants. Um, the first point that I'd like to make is we've been asked to speak about uh, tolerance and coexistence and I don't want to derail this by any means. But I would like to suggest that I I don't want to just be tolerated, um, that perhaps we could be using words like empathy and belonging, as well as tolerance and coexistence. Um, I think empathy might be one of the key skills for the 21st century. And one of the ways that we can build that is to have our students engage in completing projects with people from very different countries and very different cultures. Uh, I think that should be a part of every curriculum around the world that schools should be requiring students to engage and take part in projects with people in different countries, um, to engage with diversity and be able to speak across those differences. Uh, I think as educators we've got a very critical function, particularly at this moment in time, to uh, break the single identities of our students uh, and enable them to see very clearly that we all have multiple identities, to create safe spaces for them to be able to do that. Uh, We all know as teachers the importance of building relationships with students. I think relationships very much are the killer app in the 21st century. If you haven't seen Rita Pearson's Ted Talk, Every Child Deserves a Champion, uh, I commend it to you very highly. Um, but I think much of this comes back to how we teach. It's not just what we teach, it's how we teach in terms of building those connections. And I would also say, while I'm a high school history teacher, a lot of my work is done with the adults in the school. And I think if we want a culture of tolerance and coexistence amongst our students, we need it amongst the adults in the school as well and I highly commend the use of protocols. I think teachers get better by working in teams. The School Reform Initiative has all sorts of protocols freely available online uh, to enable educators to have constructive professional conversations, and I commend their work to you, highly. Thank you
0: very much. And Marge, I think you've got a presentation for us. Thank you.
3: I'm gonna give that to you. (laughs) Got too many things to hand. So, in South Africa, you would all know that we had legislated discrimination and I, as a history teacher, um, am very proud of the new history syllabus in South Africa. Um, I sit on the South African History Teacher Society and our syllabus has completely transformed and like Cameron, I don't think we should be talking about tolerance and diversity. I think we should be talking about transformation. And transformation that acknowledges intersectionality. So we can't just talk about race on its own, or gender on its own, or religion. But for many people, there is an intersection of a number of issues that make them feel second-class citizens. So in South Africa, we've now... In our new constitution, we talk about social justice and the need for dialogue. And in that dialogue, we have to be sure that the dialogue is constructive towards transformation and that freedom of speech does not lead to more segregation and more hate. And so our government is also working on a hate speech bill. We have to understand that pupils come From a very different background into integrated schools. And this is for me a fundamental framework. When we talk about diversity, you have to also transform not only the curriculum, not only the student body to make it more integrated, not only the teacher profiles to make that more integrated, but you have to to transform the institution. And often in countries where integration happens, pupils who were formerly not accepted into mainstream schools or schools that were dominated by a particular group are then accepted into that community but the institutional culture doesn't change. And so students from other cultures come into that institution and are expected to adapt their own identity, their own background and culture to fit the culture of the institution. And in South Africa, that's the major challenge, is that we have to make sure that those institutions reflect the different cultures of the kids in the school and that you don't just come in on our terms. And that's a big, big um, challenge, I would say, around the world. I was just talking to a couple of teachers in England, and their schools are integrated, but the the music or the traditions don't reflect the new cultures in the school. So our music has transformed. Our curriculum has transformed. And and that doesn't mean you're getting rid of the values in your school. You're actually just changing traditions. And so in our country in terms of curriculum we've been very proud of making the curriculum less Eurocentric and the history I teach is taught through debate and the debate centers around South African history, African history, international history. We face our past and we face our ghosts. I'm I was an anti-apartheid activist, so my history classrooms draw on a lot of my own experience but we have to acknowledge that the pupils in our rooms have very different experiences of that history and we have to allow for debate. And so that intersectionality comes out in what I do and um, I I, I did a teacher-led research project this year on the role of teaching social Darwinism eugenics and pseudoscientific racism and the impact that had on history students in terms of how they identify themselves um, as opposed to girls that don't go through the, 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 the lesson on race and pseudoscientific racism and that had the, the, the findings of that research showed an incredible growth in the pupils to understand that race is a false concept. It is a concept that was used to justify colonialism. And those are the things that we have to be looking at, fair and square, in order to truly transform.
0: Great. Thank you so much. Um, well, if I may, I'm going to take the moderator's prerogative and uh, start with a few questions uh, from myself before opening it up. Um, I'd really be interested, uh, it's fascinating how you all spoke about the different kind of cultural backgrounds that have influenced your school environment and how that's changed over the years. Where do you think the responsibility kind of lies for shaping um, these skills, these values, and beyond just uh, the coexistence tolerance, there's other things we've been speaking about, empathy and belonging. Um, where does that belong, and where's the intersectionality with the classroom?
3: Marge, do you I've want to? A lot. Well, I, d- I do think it shouldn't only be top-down. I think the school has to provide a space through good leadership and open leadership. Um, I I think there is a problem often with teachers who are still teaching the content but have, we're not part of the transformation have not embraced that transformation. And so teachers themselves have to attend transformation workshops and face their past, their unconscious bias. But at the same time, we have a a soapbox at our school, which the kids call crates and students lead discussions around transformation, cultural appropriation, um, gender bias, um, religious bias and the children run that and the pupils are invited to attend if they'd like. And it's it's a, a student led forum, which I think is fabulous. Andrew. Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, yeah I think this is, this is the subject that uh, some teachers are quite worried about getting right and getting wrong and it's all about dialogue isn't it it's about asking questions you know as a profession we've really got to work together to uh, you know, and there is no right way is there you know it's about working together collaborating to find out how we can move through these challenges and I think um, with parents you know in my school we do lots of parent workshops I use um, I use picture books all the time um, because it gives it, uh, gives a lesson like a, a framework we do art sessions with children and parents together where we talk about identity and I think we're absolutely right about multiple identities you know it's not about one thing you know but you know whatever our, our identity and our understanding it's about children and adults knowing that we are celebrated and we belong we don't have to shut off you know certain identities um, you know we all belong you know and, uh, and if there are challenges then we discuss we ask questions and we work through together you know uh, so it's about finding hope in the future, and, uh, and all about dialogue and collaboration.
1: So my view in terms of where responsibility lies, uh, firstly I'd like to acknowledge that very often our students are far more tolerant than we are, um, but modelling from adults is crucial, not overlooking micro-incivilities, questioning language, um, not being willing to walk past something without acknowledging that it needs correcting or that something's wrong. Uh, but I'm a history teacher and this is why we teach civil rights, this is why we teach about apartheid. Um, remember Rosa Parks, uh, US civil rights, the, the power of uh, an example uh, to lead others is crucial. All we need to do is look at Jacinta Adern and her leadership in New Zealand at the moment. I know many of us in Australia are looking across the sea thinking why can't we have leadership like that in terms of the inclusivity she has modeled over the last week, it's been extraordinary for a young female leader to be able to do that, um, has really, I think, demonstrated the way. So in terms of responsibility, um, while many of our students are are on a daily basis expressing the tolerance that we'd like already, I think the modeling of the adults is crucial.
0: Great, thank you. Um, I'd be very interested to understand some of the resistance you might have come across Um, in trying to make changes um, to cultures and to curriculums um, and to bringing that about and how you've addressed those because obviously picking up on that point of modeling you know how do how do we modeling how do we model taking along people with us on this change it can often be very difficult for communities
2: yeah, Andrew. I mean, I think resistance uh, can happen, but I think we have to embrace resistance, and uh, you know, it's about working with uh, communities and parents, uh, and it all comes back down to dialogue for me, um, you know. Uh, where there is a misunderstanding or a fear about certain aspects of the work we're doing you know so what do we do about that you know we can't just hide away and we can't just avoid it so you've got to have dialogue you know you've got to embrace those challenges so i think you know for us you know practically in my school it's the parent workshops that we have you know and that's why i use uh, things like picture books so it's non threatening so for example we use a book called Blue Chameleon, I'll, I'll leave it on here for people to look at, with five-year-olds. It's about a chameleon who changes colour to make friends, so he thinks he's got to keep changing to make friends with people. He changes into their colour, and at the end he realises that you can make friends and be yourself, you don't have to change. It's such a simple message, isn't it? But it's things like that, you know, when we've got parents who are fearful of what we're teaching, it's about coming down to things like this and having art workshops, we read the story, we talk about it, we laugh, we have cups of tea and a biscuit and then we do some painting with our children. And it's about you know, starting early with four-year-olds you know, and just embracing those challenges and working through them. Great. Thank you.
3: Um, just I wanted to follow on from that because at a high school perspective, we've had children come from poor communities or Um, different cultures and they come into our school and they feel as though they have to be the chameleon and fit into a particular culture and I think that leads later to that person feeling as though they've had to in order to be accepted in the institution they've had to betray their own culture or their own background and uh, you then have a person it feels as though they don't actually belong where they came from or where they're going to. And we have to be very careful of that, and that's for me why it's so important to have institutional transformation as well. The institution must reflect the culture of all the children in the school so that they don't feel they have to become a chameleon. And that's become a really important line within the students in our country that have fought for a decolonization of the curriculum and a decolonization of institutions so that they can participate equally without having to betray their own past and their own identity.
1: So we're recognizing the complexity and the complicated nature of these issues that we're talking about. I think one way we can begin to think about that is instead of seeing them as challenges to perhaps reframe them a little bit as tensions, Uh, you don't solve a tension, you manage it, you can nudge in the right direction, you can push, And you do that by taking small steps, by bringing people on board through dialogue, through discussion, by involving everybody in the conversation.
0: Great, thank you. Um, Marge, I was just interested reading about your background earlier and how some of the work you've done to really open up your school to broader communities, engaging with other schools that might not have the resources that that are available to you. Um, And widening out to a question that perhaps everyone can answer, um, you know, how, how can we really reach out in the communities to kind of build this further? How can you take those kind of skills and attitudes um, that you're trying, behaviors or trying to build in the classroom out into the community?
3: So I don't see myself as a teacher within one classroom. I see myself as a teacher in a classroom, within a school, within a country and within the world. And South Africa is one of the most unequal countries in the world economically so we've had political transformation but not really economic transformation and so I I do believe that the only way we can achieve this is to work in public-private partnerships and um, I said I work with 150 schools around literacy our situation in South Africa is that 78 percent of pupils in grade four do not understand what they're reading So I started a literacy quiz to get books into schools. Over 80% of schools in South Africa don't have school libraries. And as a result of hacking away at that for eight years, I've now been asked to be part of a um, government-led coalition on trying to transform reading in South Africa um, and do something about literacy together. And I think that's important, is that, that, that cooperation. But we also as a school um, have a lot of social responsibility projects. So every Monday I have AIDS orphans coming into our school to use our facilities and my pupils act as volunteers and work one-on-one with the AIDS orphans um, from the inner city, often many of them are refugees in literacy and numeracy. In the afternoons, our teachers work double shifts they teach our pupils in the morning and in the afternoon they teach pupils from the inner city in extra math science and literacy so unless we see that our responsibility does not end at our the walls of our community and in the model un that are right, run to develop global citizenship we enter um, a league where two pupils from my school and two pupils from the inner city We'll debate as one team in an education Africa debate. So at every turn, I think our attitude should be that the, the one that is in Africa, that I am who I am because of others. And if I forget about the others, it diminishes me.
2: Thank you Andrew yeah uh, so I've started doing uh, library sessions on Saturday mornings uh, with this work in uh, we're doing in schools and uh, because it's about you're absolutely right about going out in the community as well and there's lots of uh, schools in Birmingham doing the No Outsiders project so it's about trying to you know expand that now uh, Set so up parents can use the same language to talk about uh, you know discrimination and everyone being welcome um, so it's literally I, I, we, we publicise it in the libraries themselves and and I go on Saturday morning about half past ten for an hour and we read a story and then we do painting about it in the library and uh, I'm always astonished at how many people turn up because I don't really uh, publicise it that much myself, the libraries publicise this with posters and I'm always sitting there thinking no one's going to turn up, but actually the last one I had like 30 parents came with, with, with children, and they just love it because it's such a simple. It's, I'm not you know I'm not pioneering this work, am I? It's just, it's nothing new. It's just reading stories about being different, Elmer the Elephant. You know, it's such a simple, everyone knows Elmer, you know, it's such a simple story. An elephant is a, a different color, tries to hide his colors, ends up realizing that actually it's great to be, you know, to be different. I mean, that's a great painting to do, isn't it? Anyone can paint Elmer. It's a nice shape as well. So all families, you know, love doing these workshops and uh, I get 30, 35 families turning up. We sit for an hour, we talk and we do painting and it's a win-win. Also for libraries, I'm encouraging reading as well. You know, so libraries love that Um, and they get the books in before I tell them what books I'm going to use. So it is all about getting to the community as well, taking the work outside the school as much as we can into the community as well.
1: So I'd like to build on that point about breaking down the walls around the school. Uh, I think... In 2019, we're learning now the ability for teachers to be global networked activists, to really influence what's happening around the world on a large scale. And the Vaki teacher ambassadors are an example of that. Um, I know Education International is here and they're presenting EI. The role of the unions globally, I think, is crucial in terms of spreading knowledge and ideas. I think for a long time teachers have allowed others to set the agenda. We're very good at assuming that expertise lies outside the school and somebody will come in and tell us how we should be doing things. I love the fact that universities have, uh, university professors have academic freedom to decide what, how they will, will teach. And I think it's about time that uh, teachers exercised a little bit more curriculum disobedience on occasions than we've done in the past.
0: Okay, there's definitely some audience participation with that. So perhaps this is the time uh, to hand over if anyone has any questions or even reflections and experiences to share. Thank you. I think you need the mic. Probably a good idea. Thanks. Andrew Tipping, PwC Chicago in the US. Uh, Thanks for the examples. I think you've given us a lot of powerful examples of activities that are going on around various parts of the globe to achieve these goals. You're obviously passionate about. It triggered a thought in my mind that the purpose of the education is, is to end up as an output to be an educated student. Have you seen any examples yet of where people leaving your institutions are able to have different definitions of success so they can come out... The, the diversity, the inclusion comes out in how, they, how they're defined as succeeding as well as the activities that go on.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good question and that is very important. What, what I want to see is this work being done in secondary schools as well because I know... I know I'm absolutely, uh, I actually believe, and I see it, that the children leave Parkfield School passionate about equality and diversity and being confident about who they are, and that work needs to continue. We don't want it to trickle away. I know lots of secondary schools are doing this work. They may we're doing it as no outsiders, but we are doing it as, you no. Know, I know UNICEF Rights Respecting, for example, is a really good programme. Lots, lots of schools do in Birmingham. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, this work is four years old in my school, so, um, you know, I've yet to have primary school children come back you know as adults to, 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 to talk to me um, i'm looking forward to that and uh, I, i'm confident that uh, you see i've got this i'm doing a phd about this actually about exactly this actually about do things we learn as seven eight year olds stay inside us do they stay inside us or do they all do it oh, as we as we grow older do they trickle away is it like the my little pony effect i loved it when i was seven but i'm 15 now i'm leaving it behind and for me, I sort of think, well, you know, when I was eight years old, I was obsessed with ABBA, and I still am. So some things, some things stay. Some things stay. But I'm doing uh, work about that now, and I'm, and I'm going uh, And what I hopefully what I, I want to find is that you can develop a core, a love of diversity, in an eight-year-old that will stay with them when they're 16. I don't know. I'd be really interested to see what you think about that.
3: I think our pupils develop an incredible sense of global citizenship and um, and it's reflected in who they elect as leaders so it's an all-girls school and before we ran these programs the the classic thing of you know the girls who organize the prom or the metric dance or whatever are we kind of the popular girls now our leadership tends to come from the girls who are involved in social development within their school and they are the kids that are getting the recognition um and been seen as the true leaders in our school. And we've we're in the process of organising a girls' summit at the moment because we have girls from all over Africa um, at our school and they it's a school that stresses maths and science, but more girls to history than any other subject, because I think it's the subject that gives them that broader sense of humanity and an understanding of their, their continent, the globe. And so for me, the real success is looking at the fact that those girls are, are truly transformed. They, they give up their time to work in the inner city. They give up their time to go up during their school holiday to work in rural villages. And that, for me, is the development of true leadership.
1: So just a, a very small response to your, your question would be that in- traditionally students from my school have studied economics, business, gone to form their own businesses, do that sort of thing. Increasingly we're seeing students express interest in, for instance, work for the United Nations, social entrepreneurship, but I think the real mark of success will be in the future when we get large numbers of our students leaving high school saying they want to be teachers.
0: Great, thank you. It, uh, I think it really does behave us all to uh, keep track of the young people with which we work and try to continue to encourage them beyond the work that we're potentially just doing at that stage in life, you know, where do we, what's the next organization or the next set of skills that we want them to be seeing? So um, it's a great question, thank you. Questions,
4: thanks.
5: Yeah, so I'm Maggie Bailey, I'm from London um, and I i've got about seven schools i work with so i'm very interested in uh, the paul dick's work where he says when adults changed everything changes so very much along the lines that if you you must embrace the adults Clearly I believe in children, I wouldn't do the job I do, but I do think we have to confront the brutal facts around adults and them not being prepared to take on. So your work in Birmingham, as there's a lot of criticism around, and the actual media, etc. have been allowed to criticize. So I think we must always take the adults and encourage, because I work with a lot of traveler families, so they're anti-education and, and, and they're anti-women, in, in you know, stereotypical but actually if you say to them come in look at what we're doing totally agree with the dialogue one so I think we need to confront the adults we need to engage with them because we can do it with the children it's the adults that sometimes are our biggest obstacle so we must embrace them and get them on side so thank you for your work
0: thanks Maggie um, any other questions
3: can I just say I, I totally agree with you and in the girls summit we're not doing it just as a school that one of the important stakeholders in that summit are the parents and workshopping, raising girls as leaders. Yep. I
2: think also it's, it's um, uh, thank you for your comment as well, I really appreciate that. And it's about working with the parents who are on side, because there are many, many parents who are on side. It's about finding those, isn't it? Finding those and, and then working, and, and gradually, I see it as the step by step, you know, one by one actually. Uh, Any other questions?
4: Hi, I'm Vaseema from India. I hope I'm audible. Yeah, so um, you know, I I really like the inputs that you all gave in, the activities that you shared for tolerance and coexistence. uh, They are really something that I think I could work on. But uh, my question is if there are any more ideas to it. there is something as in you know, yeah. Uh, I think I'm more audible now. There is something like um, nowadays what I see among my students is that uh, they are more of uh, there is more of a me in them. Right, I am more important than others, and then the tolerance level over there is more about you know I just cannot have him sit in my place. You know. It's not about uh, being tolerant to different people, it's more about being tolerant to sharing spaces, sharing, uh, you know, uh, being more tolerant to somebody else coming and doing something which is not acceptable, acceptable to them, which can be acceptable, but is not acceptable to them. So how do you teach students to be tolerant uh, and not, you know, make each and every point of uh, any, anything into conflict? How
5: do you yeah.
2: do that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so you're saying about, uh, well, I would say the word coexisting uh, is a word we use a lot a lot of in my school. We coexist, and we may disagree on some things, and that's good, actually. We talk about it's great to disagree, because it means you have dialogue and discussion. And we may not come to an agreement, but we can still coexist uh, together and live alongside each other. And um, I, I keep showing books, but I'll show one more because <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm just obsessed with picture books. But this is a good example of coexisting because it's a Red Rockets and Rainbow Jelly, And all through the book, it's about Nick liking one thing and Sue liking something else. So the first page is Nick likes red apples, Sue likes green pears. Nick likes yellow socks, Sue likes blue socks. On every page, Nick and Sue like different things. But guess what the last line is? The last line is, Nick likes Sue and Sue likes Nick. (laughs) So you're teaching children at four years old to coexist because you're teaching them that you may like different things, and that's great, but you can still like each other. You can still coexist. So I think that's a central message to this work, really, for very young children.
3: I also think that schools often encourage pupils to compete. and, And then we get then we, we, we surprised when they don't really like people in their spaces. And yet one of the skills for the 21st century is interdependence and group work. And so at my school, we, um, we are, uh, an accredited critical thinking skill, the school, and one of the key critical um, thinking skills is how to work interdependently. And, um, in history, that's very interesting as well, because because everything is a debate. I don't teach history as one line, it's always debate. Um, it's very important to listen to each other, have empathy, and, and really hear the other, the other person. So in that sense, I will often get students to debate, but then they have to, um, at the end, summarize what the other what the other side said and this side has to summarise what they said to really show that they've listened and understood and not just this is what I've got to say and I'm actually going to switch off when you talk. They've got to echo what the other side says. Yeah.
1: So I've got three examples I can think of and the first one is the work of Chimamanda Adichie. Uh, She's an author and she has a TED talk, a fantastic TED talk called The Danger of a Single Story and we spoke at the beginning of this panel about the dangers of single stories and how we all have multiple identities. And she talks about the fact that a single story robs people of dignity. And her TED talk is a really powerful resource to be able to use with students as well. Um, My second point would be I like highlighting the work of the Reggio Emilia early childhood educators. Uh, Reggio is a little town uh, in Italy and the Reggio Emilia childhood approach has spread around the world. Um, In terms of their approach to children with disabilities, Um, Children with disabilities in Reggio schools, under Italian law, they receive first priority into the schools and they're not referred to as children with disabilities, they're referred to as children with special rights. Uh, And I think there are examples like that that we can seize on and use, um, both within our schools and refer to them with our students. And the final point that I want to make is just to recommend the work of an organisation based in Boston called Facing History and Ourselves. They have wonderful curriculum materials, but a great deal of their work is about Um, teaching and learning approaches in the classroom, about pedagogical approaches that can be used across subjects, uh, freely available on the web, Facing History and Ourselves. Marge is familiar with them as well, an outstanding organisation. Thank you.
3: And and that's what they do as well, is is help children understand that um, history gives... in, In history, every individual has a choice. You can be a perpetrator, a collaborator, a bystander, or a resistor, and unpack what makes people make those different choices. It's very good. Great,
0: Thank you. Other questions? No? Okay. Um, oh, it's one over there, sorry. Out of the zone.
3: Thank you. Good afternoon. Um, my name's Aroma. I live here in Dubai. The world is my home. Um, I have a question about tolerance, empathy, compassion. Could you speak to us about those three words and how they fit together, what supersedes or doesn't? Um, But those are three words that I know are, when I think about this, they are foremost in my mind. What what about yours? I do believe that we wouldn't be on this platform if we weren't passionate about diversity, and as. A lot of you know two of us have at least said up here it's more than tolerance right it's about transformation and that implies that i'm not going to oh that i'm not going to just tolerate you i also have to accept that i have to transform as well that i may have been an anti-apartheid activist but there's subliminal bias in every single one of us and each of us has possibly an area that makes us feel uncomfortable and the only way we can truly transform is to be prepared to be uncomfortable because there's a lot of intersectionality and I might be cool on race and gender but I might not be cool on different sexualities and, and you know that's just an example of how every single person has to kind of really understand themselves within a broader society and we all need to be prepared to grow because we can be passionate but we can actually be have a fixed mindset and I think for for diversity you have to have a growth mindset
2: yes I'll agree with you and I think tolerance is often a, a tricky word isn't it tolerance in terms of putting up with somebody but I see it as a first step You know, and, uh, you know, I I can think of lots of examples in my own school where I think some of my work was tolerated first and then accepted. Um, And it's just, I I see it as as a journey. But I agree with uh, the three words, what what, what are the three words that you use? Tolerance, empathy, empathy... and compassion, absolutely. So tolerance is a, is a journey towards empathy and compassion. Um, I've run out of picture words to show you now, so I can't show you any more picture words, unfortunately. Uh, but I think all this work is about, is about those three words. It's, it's, it's all about having like a dialogue, accepting different people, but celebrating, not, not even it's just accepting, is it? It's celebrating. Celebrating the fact that you and I are different, but we both like coffee, chocolate, you know, being here, you know, so we've got to celebrate those the, 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 our differences, and and and, uh, and that's what you know, global citizenship is all about. building building those bridges, isn't it? Building bridges.
1: So, just a, a comment, particularly with regard to the word empathy. I think it's a it's a noble attempt for us to try and get towards, but we need to acknowledge that we can't always see things from other people's points of view. Uh, it's very difficult to to break through those different perspectives, but to be aware of those perspectives and make the effort is the worthwhile venture, I would would suggest. Um, Stereotypes, confirmation bias, as Marge has just said, uh, are what we're trying to overcome. I think learning a second language can help with that significantly. I'm I'm from a a country, Australia, where we're described as aggressively monolingual. Um, And it's a difficulty in terms of seeing that empathy for others as a result.
0: Great, thank you. I think I had a question.
4: Thank you, and I would like to remind uh, people about uh, the existing of having young people and students in uh, certain parts of the world that they don't know their future. So how they will be uh, (laughs) behaving and some advices uh, from you.
0: Thank you. So how do when, we build when young
1: people you know, don't have any hope for the future?
0: How do we build these things hope in environments word, that are okay, perhaps more word. challenging than that's some of the ones it, that
3: actually. we work in? Feel have
1: a future.
3: Sorry, is yeah. the question how do we give hope to pupils who feel there's no future?
0: How, how do we build yeah. this in d- Yeah.
3: I think I think that's where it's it's such an extraordinary thing that Varki Foundation is building up. Um, a collaboration of teachers around the world, and just—I um, was—I've only been in the Varki family from last year to this year, and already I'm collaborating with a lot of teachers on a lot of different things, from violence in school to refugees to language and diversity, um, and and those—that collaboration, I think. Can, and and t- uh, career, um, I'm working with teachers in Africa around teacher training on critical thinking. And I think that the more we collaborate, the more youth we will reach and hopefully give a future. And I think, again, one of the things that, we, when we talk about diversity, we mustn't just think culture. We must think class, inequality, On on every level, as long as there's not equal education and equal rights for all, that should be a part of our focus, that we mustn't just look at race or whatever, we've got to look at it in a holistic way.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with you, and I think, uh, and the central message is for no outsiders is, is just that, isn't it? It's saying that there are no outsiders. You are, you belong. You belong in my class. You belong in my school. And in terms of a child has no hope at all, I'll be looking at day by day the little things about getting that child to feel happy in themselves, isn't it? And I know this is a huge challenge, isn't it? You know, we're, we're talking big things. The film this morning about refugees that we saw. How do you work with those children? And I, I would look at it as working day by day on the little things but being consistent as well showing those children consistency and whatever happens in your life i'm here every day smiling happy to be here i like you i like you i want to be your teacher we're going to have a great day today you know it's just a little things isn't it you know that then feed into the bigger picture
1: enabling students to see that they have the potential to influence the future um, as a history teacher acknowledging that people have made significant changes in the past that have had a huge impact on the way world history has unfolded. And even on a small scale, our students can, can learn through those examples of history that they have the ability to make significant changes themselves.
0: Yeah, and, and if I may, I was um, at the philanthropy Summit yesterday and I asked a very similar question about some of these young people uh, in refugee camps and in environments that are incredibly challenging, how we were really seeking to address um, those psychosocial needs and the trauma that they've experienced, and was very encouraged to hear about the work of education emergencies, Education Cannot Wait, and Dubai Cares, and um, they're really looking at how you can build that into uh, the education that they're receiving in the camps and how we can really begin to you know, build on some of those desperate needs rather than just basic educational needs. Um, so I hope it's happening, it's so important. Thank you for the question. A question here. Good afternoon, hi. Uh, firstly, Andrew, uh, congratulations on making it to the final top five. Um, Andrew, I understand, I live one mile from your school, so I know everything that you faced in your in the last week and and the last two weeks. It's been a, a massive uproar. How do we create a uh, an environment where um, we can learn about each other and where without the without without understanding where different positions different positions are on viewpoints on different backgrounds, different um, uh, beliefs, etc., etc. How do we create an, an environment for that to to allow tolerance to prosper uh, within schools, within uh, local communities and local uh, uh, economies as well. Thank you very much.
2: Yeah, so I would say it's absolutely about dialogue and what we said, about about it's about working with communities and uh, it's about, we, we were talking earlier about uh, children living in different worlds than to their parents and having different ex- experiences to the experiences their parents may have had. Um, and it, it, it is all about engaging and uh, and not saying I'm right and you're wrong and I've, you gotta do what I say. It's not, you know not about that. It's about engaging, listening, respect, calm discussions. And uh, you know I, I see you know challenges, tensions. You know, but uh, but that's why this work is important, isn't it? That's why this work is important. Through history, there have been tensions about different areas of equality and society, and. You know, it's about working together to find a way through uh, together where we can so w- without compromising or you know it's about f- either side, either argument you know, it's about working together, collaborating to find a way through together Great. Can I
0: take another question? Or? Yeah
4: Hi Marjorie It's so lovely to see you here. I have a question for you. Just mentioned fixed mindset. And um, do you follow any methods or anything to change that fixed mindset in your
3: classroom or in your environment, school environment, to growth mindset? What do you follow? What do you do? Or what is working for you? Can you share if it's not a secret? (laughs) It's not a secret. I think um, I stimulate debate in my classroom. And as I said, the, in the debate, the pupils have to, at the end, echo what the other person said. Plus, um, there's a wonderful... Um, it's quite interesting, Cameron and I haven't spoken about this, but I am also um, uh, have done the visible thinking skills course at, with Harvard University. And within that, there are wonderful skills to use um, to make pupils thinking visible. And it's a very good critical thinking tool where you might have the Berlin Wall and soldiers on East Berlin side putting up the wall and soldiers on the, and, and, and people on the other side watching the wall be built. And the, you get the pupils to say what they think. People on each side are thinking. And that's a that whole thing of empathy that Um, And and then related to apartheid South Africa as well. So I might have a white pupil in my class who's got to kind of relate to what a person being dragged off by a white policeman is thinking. And I think we have to teach children to put themselves in other shoes in order to grow. So um, it comes back again to that dialogue, debate, facilitating that and being prepared to be uncomfortable. Yep.
1: If I could just build on that, that if we want to make children's thinking visible in our classrooms, that implies that we need to be genuinely interested in what they think and what they have to say. Um, so it changes the role of a teacher to one that is listening very intently to the ideas of our students. And again, I'll say that if we want that in our students, we should be building the same culture for the adults in the schools as well.
0: Yep. Okay. Andrew? Andrew?
5: Hi there, I'm I'm Francois from
1: South Africa and uh, I just really wanted to say thank you to the panel um, for the insights. This is an incredibly important topic. Um, I loved your definition of tolerance, um, the fact that we're trying to get past that. In fact, what's happening here is we are tolerating the noise behind (laughs) us. Uh, And I'm going to sort of say that facetiously, but at the same time it's true. And uh, there's a big noise in our classrooms that sometimes we're ignoring and, and perhaps that's part of what, you, what you've been saying. I would like to say that I'm also trying to engage on transformation at my school. I'm a headmaster, and I'm probably failing miserably half the time. So it's really nice to hear you know, what you're doing, and I'm sitting going and want to try and g- g- get some contact details as well. But thank you very much.: Thank you.
0: I take these two questions:
4: Hello, I'm Yuman from India. Uh, there is a trend when a new regime or a new government come, they tend to rewrite the history. So it's basically for the history teachers. Does it uh, create a sense of uh, distrust, confusion among the teachers while uh, teaching history to the students? Uh, is it a, I mean, does it create any uh, discontent among the teachers, confusion? So how do you deal with it?
1: So when there's a new government, when there's regime change, when the history curriculum is rewritten, does it create a sense of confusion? Absolutely. And my answer to that very simply would be that any history curriculum should be written with and by teachers. And if it's being written by the government, then that that is the problem.
3: So in our country, it it was a great relief when there was regime change because um, it Because of our struggle, there was a lot of involvement of people of different cultures against apartheid. And so there was a lot of intense discussion about how history should be taught. And I proudly can say that our history, we haven't glossed over or ignored any cultural aspects of our history. So I I think that having attended a lot of international history conferences, Many countries skirt around the bad parts of their history, but we don't. We, we, we look at it and we debate it. And so for me, that's good. Having said that, there's already now a movement in our country to make history compulsory. And you would think that as a history teacher, I would say yes. But a lot of history teachers are saying, hang on a minute. If you make it compulsory, where are the history teachers? We don't want just anyone teaching history, because we don't want history to be taught as one line, and to be able to teach history as a debate, you have to be passionate, and the lady over there spoke about passion, you have to be able to facilitate those classroom discussions, because without that, history can become a very destructive, and and it can be a form of propaganda.
2: Thank you. Another question? I'd also like to thank the panel for their integrity and their wisdom. I wonder if I could just leave a final question with with the panel. Um, To what extent should we see the, um, the populist politician and the populist press as posing an existential threat to the very tolerance and transformation that you guys are advocating today, or Can we
1: as teachers actually win round?
2: Yeah, I'll start there. So I think we need to harness that. I think we need to use it in our lessons. So I use assembly pictures every week. Uh, I do a blog where I put up the picture I'm going to use in the assembly as a discussion. and, And I often use current events, you know, um, uh, 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 events that are quite challenging sometimes, so if it's a terrorist attack for example, you know, then then we use that and we talk about why that happened and what our response is. Um, so it's about not being frightened actually to talk about those difficult subjects that are coming from up above and about children understanding that they they have responses and that their responses are valid and we can have different opinions we've written to President Trump you know in 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 year five as a uh, literacy uh, exercise you know but we wrote heartfelt letters about his comments about being Muslim you know and about how most of my children are Muslim but how that made them feel you know and it's just, it, it, was, it was a very good exercise in children feeling that they had a right of reply. So I think as long as long we, we need to talk about these things, but we need to teach children that this is your chance. What do you think?
3: In terms of, of um, the populist press as well, if you do teach history as a debate, um, as you say, those newspaper articles become your sources within the classroom. And, and we certainly do that at high school as well. And we don't, we've had our children marching to Constitution Hill, where the Constitutional Court is, to campaign for girls in education, for SDG four, and 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 SDG five. And uh, we we have to allow our children not to. Um, I, I, the whole the whole aspect of history is to interrogate information from whence it comes. So. Where's the source? What's the purpose of that source? Um, What are the limitations of that source? And how is that source useful? So I think my kids kind of know, you just don't take any source from whence it comes.
1: There's a really interesting paper that's freely available online called Teaching and Learning in the Age of Trump. And it shows how since Trump's election in the US, there's been an increase in bullying uh, in US schools. Uh, It also shows that in particularly white schools in the US, that minorities have suffered unless the school leadership has been willing to address it. Um, So it's a very interesting read. Um, But a different response from me to close with would be, I take a great deal of inspiration from young people. Um, Greta Thunberg was mentioned this morning in her campaign against climate change. But I think back to David Hogg and the stance that he took against... uh, for gun control in the United States after the, the massacres in schools. I think in terms of civic agency, we have a great deal to to learn from how young people are managing to harness, particularly social media, for a good purpose.
0: Great. Well, I think we're drawing to a close now. I'd like to thank you all so much um, for tolerating the noise and more than tolerating uh, this fantastic panel today. Thank you, each of you, for your inspiration and uh, ideas. Um, I'd love to pull together all the kind of all ideas, resources that you've mentioned, um, and if people would like to be in touch with me, either via the app, if I can work out how to do that, or Lawrence at institute.global, I'd be happy to share that with people. Obviously, this is the formal session ending, but please do stay, grab another coffee, don't make too much noise for the next session, uh, but share ideas and experience. So please join me in thanking our amazing panel.
2: Thank you so much.